Let's have a look at Exodus chapter 33. Today I've entitled this, I can't remember what I titled it, Waiting on the Lord. Yes, uh, this is important today. I know it seems like it's not, but it really is. Uh, it really is. Because the Lord, uh, despite what you may think, I don't just preach whatever I want to preach. I know a lot of ministers do. Uh, believe me, a lot of ministers just pick something that they think they like or that's maybe fed them personally lately, or that they think the congregation needs, uh, or whatever. But I really do wait on God, and I ask Him, Holy Spirit, what is it that you have in your heart for this service? Because I'm really not the boss. He's my senior partner, and, uh, and he, he really is the boss. And He knows what I don't know, and He knows what people need. And he, knows, he knows everything. And I've learned just to trust Him and not try to do things on my own. He comes, sometimes gives me liberty within the nitty gritty of the sermon. Other times he doesn't. But he said to me, he said, I want you to talk. I'm going to say it exactly the way he said it. He said, I want you to talk to them about waiting on the Lord. He said, waiting on me in order to move forward. And, I, and so I want you to look at the scripture with me. Isaac, um, what is it? Exodus chapter 30. I don't know. I need to pray. I, I can't seem to speak. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11. Exodus chapter 33, thank you, Lord, for your anointing that helps and that makes all the difference to receive, for them to receive and for me to deliver and Holy Spirit for revelation knowledge to come. I claim the spirit of wisdom that they'd have hearing hearts, that they would hear the wisdom of God, the mind of God on this subject in their spirits and they would have revelation knowledge in the word and that their eyes of their mind would then be enlightened. They would know and revelation would go from their spirit up to their mind and they would catch up with what's happening deep inside of them as the word of God goes in. And they would be able to know what to do and how to live and how to change and how to act and how to tweak lives so that we can have greater victory. And Lord, you authored this, so I thank you for your anointing to deliver it in Jesus' name. Exodus uh, chapter 33 and, uh, and verse 11. Actually, just let's start up with a little bit uh, earlier. Um, uh, let's just start in verse one. And the Lord said unto Moses, depart and go up hence thou and the people that you have brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land, which I swear unto Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying unto these, thy seed, I will give it. And I will send an angel before thee and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will, for I will not go up in the midst of thee for you are a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. He don't like stiff-necked. Stiff-necked means you're not teachable. Stiff-necked means you're stubborn. Stiff-necked means you're prickly. He doesn't like that. He said, I'm not even going to go with you because you're like this. But, and when the people heard the evil tidings, they mourned. And no man did put on his ornaments. They took off their jewelry. They, 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 they realized God was upset with them. For the Lord had said unto Moses, saying to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I will come up in the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee that I may know what to do with thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it outside the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation that was outside the camp. Notice that you didn't have to go. Not everybody went because today not everybody seeks God and in a better covenant with better promises and a mighty Holy Ghost that lives in us still not everybody seeks God. You can be saved but not seek God. You can be saved but not wait on God. Not everybody went 
But watch now, verse 8, and it came to pass when Moses went out to the tabernacle, uh, the leader should be seeking God. Right? Not just playing golf and having hobbies and doing things. The leader needs to seek God. And it came to pass when Moses went out into the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass as Moses entered in the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshiped every man in his tent door. Shows you what kind of thing that Moses had with God. That when he went in to talk with God, God came down and talked with him. Well, we have that in, we have that in our lives today. See, he had to have a special experience with, a cloud, with God coming in that cloudy pillar. But the cloudy pillar is in us. The Holy Ghost is in us. When we, when we approach him, that his presence is right there. We have a better covenant. And the Lord spoke to Moses, verse 11, as a, face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he turned again. Now watch now, Moses left the place of God's presence to go back to regular life. Camp is regular life, right? He left to go back to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. I want you to notice that even when, this is what the Lord prompted me, he said, even when the leadership, even when the boss man, even when the main guy, the the, the big cheese, Moses, had decided, I've, I've, I've done enough. I've talked with God. He's talked with me. I know what to do. I've enjoyed his presence. I need to go back to the camp. I've got stuff to do. I've got administrative stuff to do. I've got a job to do. I've got life to live. Even when he did that, something in this young man's heart decided, let me tarry just a little bit longer. Let me stay just a little bit longer. If you also notice, which we won't for sake of time, but when he goes up to get the tablets of stone, that Joshua was the only one permitted to come on that mountain. Anybody else that touched that mountain died. But if you look, Moses went up, but Joshua went up halfway. Why? God permitted the hungry heart. God saw the hungry heart. He saw the man that didn't want to go back to regular life. Now we have regular life and we got to live regular life. We got responsibilities, but don't take it to an extreme where I'm saying, don't do your responsibilities. What I'm saying is that he had a heart to say, of course, Joshua, I'm sure had a family and wives and kids and he had big responsibilities. He was the grooming. He was being groomed as the leader. There was a lot that Joshua had to take responsibility for. He was also over the army because remember when he said, go down and fight the Amalekites, I'm going to stand with the raw staff of God in my hand and I'm going to hold my hands up. And as long as I hold my hands up, you'll win. Joshua was the one there fighting. That means he was charge of the army. That means he had charge, responsibility to train the army, to organize the army. I mean, he was a very important, even though he was young, he had a tremendous amount of responsibility. And so it's not like he was bored. He had lots of stuff to do. But even after the leader, the man of God had finished, he had a heart. I want you to see his heart. It's not that he was ignoring his responsibilities of life. He had a heart to wait a little bit longer, to go a little bit further. He went up that mountain, just, I want to be a little bit closer. Don't deny me, God. I want to be a little bit closer. There's a heart God is looking for. And that's what the Lord was dealing with me. He said, in order to go forward, Joshua was about to become the leader. He was about to become the Moses, so to speak. He was taking the mantle of responsibility from Moses to lead them in. and, And he was going to face things that Moses never faced. Moses never faced giants and cities. Moses never faced that. 
He faced enemies in the wilderness. He had the Egyptians. He faced the, the, the 10 plagues. Moses faced a lot. But Moses had never taken the land. Moses knew how to do it, but he had never actually done it. And he died before he stepped in. Joshua was about to do things that even Moses had never encountered. And Joshua knew this is a very important season in my life. Are you listening to me? Because I heard the Lord say this. I'm not just pulling a sermon out of a hat. I've never preached this quite like this before because I have to do what he says. And I heard him say, this was a very important moment for Joshua because he was about to do something he had never done before. And the responsibility on him was fierce. And the enemies were, were fierce. And, and there was a whole nation on his shoulders. And what did he do? Did he run? Did he, with that kind of pressure, did he turn to administration? No. Although he did administration. Did he turn to get a council of people to give him advice? No. Although I'm sure he had. The Bible says there were 70 elders and they gave advice. What did he turn to? He turned to the presence of God. He turned to waiting on the Lord. Even when the man of God had left, he said, I'm hungry enough to stay a little bit longer. I recognize greatness is on my life. And therefore, if God's going to use me the way he wants to use me, it's going to take time to wait on him. And I want you to know that whether you're anybody in this church, I'm not just saying it to sound fancy, but greatness for what God wants for our city Greatness for the call that is on this ministry. There's greatness on your lives as a part of this. And if you're going to fulfill the greatness that God has in his plan for you, it's going to require more slowing down. This is a cross threads with everything that you're facing day to day. Because what you're facing is speed up. You're facing more workload, more time. Everything is increasing. Traffic is increasing. Everything, the time that you have is so limited. If you just look at it, just your sleep takes, what, a third of your life? Maybe a quarter if you don't sleep that much, but you should really get proper sleep because you can't function properly without it. So if you're looking at six, seven, or eight hours, you're looking at about a third, maybe a little bit less than a third of your whole life is gone just with sleep. Well, you got to plug your you got to plug your body in. You got to plug your phone in to charge it. You got to plug your body in to charge it. And how do you plug your body in? You go to sleep, and use your faith for a sweet sleep, not insomnia, not waking up 19 times a night. Use your faith. Command your body to rest. Command your mind to be still, and it will obey you if you believe. Praise God. But that's that's what you're investing in your body, and then you got what another maybe 16, 17 hours in a day, and then half of that is work. Half of that is, and if more than half because of traffic. Yes, sister. Oh, Lord. My God. We all need to buy helicopters so we can get to our work quickly. But you're leaving early. I'm just being honest. I understand how this works. You're leaving early. Then you got a full day. And you're dealing with sinners. And you're dealing with people that don't love God and are talking things that you don't appreciate. And like Lot, you may even be daily vexed with the conversation of the ungodly. And you have to, you have to get through that. And it tries to stick on you. Not that you're sinning, but just the filth tries to get on you. I'm telling you. And then you've got that wonderful traffic to look forward to, to come home. And then you've got this little window of time when you're at home. And by the way, all of that work is just so you can pay bills and exist. Yeah. Yeah. 
And hopefully you've, you've organized and used your faith and believe God for something extra so that you can not just exist, but you can actually enjoy your life a little bit and go on holiday. But listen, Jenny and I, for many, many, many years, didn't have any fun things. <laughs> every, every dollar was to pay every bill. And we had to use our faith just so that it would stretch to meet the ends of that month. Forget about vacation. That wasn't even on our radar. We're just trying to survive. And we went through that for years until God started to teach us and show us how to believe him and how to use our faith for a better life, not just a survival life. But my point is, is that, listen, there's little nuggets that will pop out by the Holy Ghost as I'm going, but I'm just trying to get my point out is that you've got this little window of time and it's not that much. And you're usually pretty tired because you, you, you've, you, you've done the whole day. And so now you, and then if you've got kids, sweet Jesus, help us now. Now there's kids, now there's their needs, and then there's homework, and then there's making lunches, and then there's cleaning, because you can't live in squalor. And by the way, you still have to shower at some point so you don't stink. And then you've got to spend time with your spouse. You can't ignore them. You're not roommates. You've got to a little bit. You've got to talk. And then there's downtime. You can't be working all the time. You've got to let your mind rest. And then you turn on the TV and there's witchcraft and demons and, and orgies and every kind of filth imaginable. So now you don't even know what to watch anymore because how am I going to have downtime? But you got to find something or go back 20, 30 years and find something that's not filthy. And you're trying to have downtime. And then there's, oh, forget hobbies. Most of them don't even have time for them. And then if you're going to go to the gym or the treadmill or whatever you got, good luck. But if you can make it in, then do it because you should. I'm just saying there is, and then you got a vacuum and, and, and there's all of these things. My God, there's all of this stuff. I'm telling you, it is a, I look at sometimes my day and I'm like, how do I, how did I even make it today? There's so much to do. Now, if you have time for Facebook, Messenger, Instagram, whatever it is, God bless you. Cause I don't know how you have time for it, but you find time, I guess. And you do all this stuff and then you fall into that bed because remember, you have to sleep. And I just wonder, you probably talk to God a little bit on the way down to work and you maybe talk to him a bit in the shower and maybe talk to him while you're frying your eggs. But did, when was the time that you actually stopped and said, you know what? All y'all can wait. Problem is you can't tell your boss that because he'll fire you. Right? But you, but you can't really tell your spouse that, although you probably can. Your kids don't list, won't listen to you if you tell them to wait because they want their needs now. Uh, but you've got to figure out other things can wait. Sure. Facebook can wait. Yeah. Other things can wait. Hobbies can wait. But you've got to find time. Yes. Yes. You've got to find time. There's, if you're going to fulfill the greatness of his plan, it's going to require time to wait on him. Yes. And even when the leadership has left to go and focus on their life, something in our hearts should be, Lord, I still want more. I need more. I recognize as busy as I am, without this time with you, I'm not going to fulfill the plan. Because that time matters, Jenny. It matters. And yet we are so busy. So everything is speeding up. But what God wants us to do is slow down. Now, you've got to figure out if you're a night hawk or if you're an early bird. If you're a night hawk, hawks are better than regular birds. So I prefer night owls and night hawks. Owls are very wise, apparently. So I like, I like personally, I like staying, I like when it's quiet at night, when everybody's asleep, and I just wait and I spend time with God because there's no distractions. And that's just my preference. But that's not really scriptural because the Bible says get up early. 
but I don't like that scripture, so I took it out, Rob. I just took it right out. But I can't take it out. All the plagues of the revelations will come upon me, apparently, if I take out scriptures. So we don't want to do that. Now, God is not legalistic. You can do it at night. You can do it in the morning. David said, early will I seek thee. Jesus, the Bible said, went a great while before day. Means before the sun was even up, he was there praying and speaking to his father. So the biblical thing is, and why does it say that? Because in the morning, you're not exhausted from your day. If you do it at night, it seems to work for me more. Because I just, I don't know why, I don't need as much sleep. I don't take as much sleep. So I, I, I do, but I don't, because that time for me works very well. But that doesn't mean I don't do it in the morning as well, because I do. I'm just saying, you've got to find what works for you. But scripturally, it's better, the highest flow, I'm not saying it's the only flow, but instead of being exhausted and then trying, yeah. do you understand? It's when you wake up and you're fresh, yeah. then you give God your first and your best. And I do that. I just don't do it as long in the morning as I do it in the evening but I do it every morning. Why? Because it's a tithe of my time. I'm saying, Father, I've woken up the first part of my day, the best part of my day, where I've got the most focus and energy. It belongs to you. And so I give him that time. But I also like in the evening, so you can figure out what works for you. But what I'm saying is that waiting on the Lord is critically important if you're going to fulfill the plan of God for your life, or you can choose to just do the right race, run around, do what everybody else is doing, but then you may not fulfill everything God has for you because when you wait on him, he talks to you and shows you about your future and about things to change and about things to tweak and about what he wants. And if you don't have that time, you don't have that knowledge. And I don't just mean it from a selfish perspective like he talks to you. Waiting on him is loving him. It's your first love. It's putting him first. That's the most important thing. Just his presence strengthening you. You you just know that he's with you. But then in addition to that priority of first love, then he also communicates and gets things over to you that you have to know about your future. And all of you, if you're in this church, we have an assignment to do something before Jesus returns. And we, and there's a greatness to his plan, like Pastor Nancy always says, and Joshua had a great responsibility, but I want you to notice his heart was wait more, not wait less. Let the, let the, let the, the soldiers that I have to train, let them hold off. Somebody else can do that. I have to be here. Family. I love you. And I'm not saying that you're not first, but you're not before God. So you're just gonna have to wait a little while because I have to be here with God. There is an attitude. You understand? I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not trying to tell you how long. I'm talking about a hard attitude. There's a hard attitude. If you really, really want, you'll make the time. Whatever you really want to do, you will find time for. People tell me all the time they're so busy. Then I ask them questions about their life. And I find that they're at the nail salon for seven hours on Saturday. Well, if you, so you're busy, but what you really want is the nails, the pedicure, the manicure, the hair, and you'll, you'll find the time, won't you? People that love golf, they I don't like how tired they are. They will find the time to get there for 6 a.m. tee off. I'm telling you what you really want, you will make time for. That's just a, that's human nature. You will squeeze it. You will move it. You will do whatever you have to do. You'll scab it, squeeze it, whatever. Squeal it. You will figure it out. If you really want something, you'll do it. What I'm trying to ask you is if you really want God, if you really want to know him, you will make the time. If you don't have it, you'll find it. You'll make it. You'll create it if you have to. But you will find the time to wait on him because if you really love him. So I could say it from the perspective, you need to wait on God because if you don't, you won't fulfill the greatness of his plan. That's true. But that's not really going to fly with most people 
because they don't really agree, believe, they don't even believe that they have a great plan for their life. But what I'm saying is if you really love him, if you really want to know him, if you want intimacy with him, you have to wait on him. His plan will add to that. He will show you things in addition to that. But the primary reason is because we love him. We must love him more than our hobbies. We must love him more than our families. We must love him more than our jobs. We must love him more than the extra hours we could earn with, with, with extra pay. I'm telling you, we must love him more than anything. That doesn't mean he wants, he doesn't mean he wants to do away with any of the other things. He just wants first. Amen. Are you with me? I heard the Lord say, talk to them about waiting on the Lord in order to move forward. Now, Jenny stole this, but she didn't know she stole it. She didn't really steal it. But have a look at Isaiah, please. Isaiah chapter 40. My wife read a, a scripture today from Psalm chapter 1. But Isaiah chapter 40, I want you to look at this with me for a second. <clears throat> and verse 29, Isaiah 40, 29. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. If I say that there's anything that seems to be a pandemic today, it's not COVID, it's tiredness. It's overwork. It's people that are just fighting tooth, nail, and claw just to survive. And there's a tiredness in people. I can see it. I can feel it. But it shouldn't be if we're waiting on the Lord. I shouldn't see it in you. If I see it in you, it's because your natural realm is too strong and your spirit realm is too weak. When your spirit realm is strong, your natural realm becomes strong. But notice it says here that there's people that have no strength. Now, even the young people who should have lots of energy will faint and be weary. And the young men will utterly fall. But now watch. But they that wait, wait, wait. And the Bible, it doesn't just mean wait like sitting there waiting like in a waiting room. It actually means to bind around the arm or to twist. You know, like when you braid hair and you make that kind of, or you braid a rope, you twist it. You take one item, you take another item, and you mix it together until it becomes one. That's the word weight. It means that you are binding and twisting and interweaving yourself with God so that you are one. Now, in a sense, we're already one with him in the New Testament because he lives in us. But he can live in us. You can have relationship but not fellowship. You can know that you're saved but not really know him. What God is saying is interweave yourself with me. Twist yourself, bind yourself to me so that we become one together. I want you to wait on me. I want you to become one with me. I want you to spend time with me. Why? Keep going with me. Wait upon the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The, ep the epidemic is, is tiredness and weariness and pressure. Waiting on the Lord should be first because we love him. But second, it should be because we want strength. We need strength. Thirdly, it's because like Joshua, we have to go forward in the plan of God. And if we don't wait, we're not going to go forward in the plan of God. But there is a waiting on him because you love him. I have one thing against you. I won't read it for sake of time. Revelation 2, one thing against you. You've done all these great things, but you, you forgot to love me. You've done all these great things, but you forgot to love me. I got to wait on God to love him. I've got to wait on God, yes, for the plan of God like Joshua to go forward. But I've also got to wait on God because in our society, I'm telling you, I need strength. And I don't just mean physical strength or mental strength. I need spiritual strength in the face of tremendous opposition and darkness and weirdness. And people that are so confused, they don't even know who they are anymore. In a nation that won't fly the Canadian flag on Parliament Hill for the entire month of June... They want to put their pride flags. They can do what they want. But at least put the Canadian flag up. I'm telling you, we live in a darkened society. 
We live in a society where our, where our nation is confused. Our prime minister is confused. People don't know what the right priorities are anymore. They sing the national anthem, God keep our land glorious and free. What God are you talking about? You're not talking about my God. Because everything you do violates his word. We need spiritual strength in this time of history. I'm telling you. We need spiritual strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. See, talking about strength. They shall walk and not faint. Now, I want you, the reason I said you, any of you didn't know this because I don't tell you what I preach, but notice it says mount up. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Mount up, the word up is the same word in Hebrew as the word leaf that she was reading. Your leaf will not wither. Leaf meaning uh, things that come up out of a tree. A leaf comes up out of the tree. And that word up is the same word as leaf. And it means to ascend. Just what you were reading. You read that long thing. I won't read it because you read it. But to ascend or to mount up in a variety of senses. But it means literally to ascend. Now she's talking about it from a different perspective about the tithe. But I'm telling you, I want you to listen. Now there's something on the internet. Listen, I, I, I like inspirational stories. I mean, I have the footprints poem in my office and I know I do. I, I like that poem. I like lots of special, I have cat posters. I have cat calendars. I have the cat hanging on and he says, he looks at me and he says, don't quit. And I, and I said, I'm going to not quit because I saw the cat hanging. I mean, I, I love inspirational stuff. I, I do. I make fun of it, but I actually think it's really cute. I really do like it. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> oh God. Oh, God. Um, but despite the inspirational cat posters and calendars, uh, I love inspirational stories. And so I was reading online about this Christian author who wrote this whole thing about eagles and about what eagles do and about all this stuff. And something was scratching on the inside of me. So I thought I'd fact check the inspirational Christian story on eagles and found out that nothing they said was true. The Holy Ghost knows it's not true. That's why he checked me. I, in fact, was going to preach it to you. But I felt a check. I said, Lord, you don't want me to teach this wonderful story about eagles? And I didn't feel it was that. It was that none of it's true. So I found an, I found an eagle expert online that raises eagles and works with eagles and knows everything about eagles. And he was addressing point by point all the fallacies in the Christian article about eagles, which is really annoying because it's like Christians, where are you making this stuff up from? Don't do that. Don't try to force nature into your little doctrine. If it doesn't work, don't make it work. The puzzle piece doesn't fit, leave it alone. Don't try to make it fit. So they're talking about how the eagle goes, you know, halfway through its life and goes up to the mountain and plucks out all its feathers and pulls off its beak and pulls out its talons. And then the sun comes and it helps him grow everything back. And then he takes off in the majestic flight for his renewal flight. And it takes five months while he's there shivering and he can't eat and he's fasting and we need to fast and we need to pull everything off and be naked before the Lord. I mean, they're going on and I'm telling you, they're going on and on and on. And I'm reading this thing well, if that's true, my God, I didn't know eagles could fast for five months. My God, this is amazing. And I look, none of it's true. None of it's true. None of it's true. <laughs> but what is true, and, and there is a bird that pulls off all its feathers and goes to hide, but it ain't no eagle. It's not even in the raptor family or genus. So they're just taking that and they're adding it to make it sound like this scripture. They use the scripture. If you wait on the Lord and pull everything out, 
You're going to renew your strength and have this majestic flight. That's not what it's talking about. Can, can I tell you just out of curiosity what it is talking about? Because there is a little bit that applies, but not really. And then there is something that directly applies to the scripture, which, by the way, was not in their inspirational story at all. So actually, the only thing that does apply, they didn't even include. But uh, eagles, beaks, and nails, talons are made of keratin, just like your fingernails. And they grow all their life. So they have to keep that beak, you know, they rub it on, 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 on the stone and stuff to keep it sharp and, they, and their talents, but they're growing all the time. So they don't pluck nothing out. They'd actually die if they did that with blood loss. But another thing was they pull out all their feathers. <laughs> the author was saying they're naked before the Lord and they pull out all their feathers and they're sitting there like a little chicken, you know, <laughs> shivering on the mountaintop. That's not true at all. But what is, that bird doesn't do that at all. But what the bird does do, which I felt, which I found very interesting Dad Hagen always said, I take time every year, specifically in January, to spend longer to wait upon the Lord. I wait upon the Lord regularly, but I want to take extra time to make sure that my ways of doing things, my plans for this year, the way places I want to travel to or things I want to preach. Remember, he would say that I don't want that to dominate. I want the Lord to give me his plans. I want him to refresh me and show me his thing. So actually that principle of taking one time per year is true. And you can actually find that in the eagle. And it's called the molting season, but they don't pull all their feathers off at once. And they're not up in some mountaintop by themselves shivering and fasting. That's not what they do at all. But what they do is there is a season of time per year where they go through a process called molting. M-O-L-T-I-N-G. And it means that their feathers do start, the old feathers that are becoming weak and that, are, that have, you know, after use, those, fe- those feathers are helping them fly. That's what, how they fly. So they have to have them working order and they get worn down and different things but what they do with the molting process over a period of time and it's one time per year and it happens within usually about 30 days sometimes a bit longer but they go through this time where the feathers will fall out one at a time not all at once because if they fell out all at once you couldn't fly and you die right in other words listen this is very interesting fall out little by little so that the ego can maintain daily activities because it can fly, it can hunt, it can feed its babies, it can do whatever it needs to do. But during this molting time, things will leave them, fall off, and another one grows, and another one falls, another one grows, and the wing feathers fall out, but they're doing it one at a time, and they're growing back. Why? So that the eagle has optimal usage of its feathers and, of, and all that stuff, so it can perform properly. And I believe that there is, should be a molting season for every believer. We are always waiting on the Lord, but one time per year, you should really take more time and say, Father, my plans, that's the old feathers. My way of doing things, that's the old ways. Let them fall off me and grow from within me because the Holy Ghost is within me. Grow from within me your plans, your ideas, your strength, your strategy. I want to know how to optimally perform this year. But listen, you don't have to do it for the whole 30 days in a row because most people can't. Did you notice the eagle didn't do it by himself all the time? He did regular daily activities, but there is a season of death and rebirth in that season, but he's still doing regular stuff. And believers, you don't have to take all this time aside. You can continue your job and your regular life, but have a season of waiting on God and letting him shed things off you. That's true, and that's, that's accurate, but that's pretty much the only, and that, that's only what they say, but that's a little bit, that's what they do, and we should do that too. But there is something that the Lord prompted me on. And he said, now, forget about the story because it's not true. But what does my word actually say? 
And so I want you to notice it says, those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength and they shall mount up with wings as eagles. Mount up. In other words, you waiting, strength comes into you. That would be physical strength, but also spiritual strength. And what happens? You mount up. That's what God says. If you wait, he's using a natural example with a spiritual truth. If you wait on me, you're going to be like an eagle. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do that. We were in Nova Scotia with Dr. Dufresne on the trip. And he was standing, on the, and I was sitting across the aisle here, and we're waiting for him to preach. And, and they're doing the worship really long. He sits down when he's tired of the worship, and he was sat down a long time. They just singing, singing, oh, my God. I'm like, please, Pastor, get, get a clue. You're, the man of God wants to preach, and you're telling, taking. Anyway, and then this lady walks up between us, and I felt the presence. So I turned, and I can see doctor doing this. <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking at her, and she's got, she looked, I didn't know what she was going to do but she's got this like white satin material on her. And I don't really know what's going on. And then at a certain moment, <laughs> I'm not exaggerating, uh, at a certain part of the song, she's, she's standing there right, right beside him, right beside me. And then she goes like this. <laughs> and, and what she has is she has an angel suit on and it's all attached. So from her finger to her, th it's all like a wing. And, this, and then she's got the wings between her legs and she's going like this and she comes up in front of doctor and is doing this and I'm thinking, oh my God, he's going to punch her out. He's going to punch her out. And doctor turned and looked at me and I looked at him and I said, do you want me to stop her? Because I'm, I'm getting ready to tackle the angel. I'll tackle her. The, the pastor won't ever invite us back, but I don't care. And he goes, no, let her fly. <laughs> let her fly. Let her, let her enjoy her. Now, listen, you are not that lady. We're not saying waiting on the Lord. You have to get an eagle suit or an angel suit and try to fly. That's not what we're talking about. Although some people actually do that. That's not what we're talking about. But can I tell you what it really means? It means to mount up. That's what my wife said. It means to ascend. So God is using a spiritual truth with a natural example saying that angel, that, that angels, that eagles ascend. Now we know every bird flies, right? So what is that? Every bird ascends. If you want to look at it, even the sparrow ascends. But why did he say eagle? He didn't just say you'll mount up with a bird as a bird. He said an eagle. He's using a waiting parallel, a spiritual truth. To show us a natural example. And he, there's, a, there's a truth here. None of this was in that lady's article, by the way. She just said you have to go naked before the Lord and shiver on the mountaintop. But anyway, let's move right along. What it does mean, and I found this very interesting. You know that eagles, I had to study this out from secular sources. But eagles are the only bird that does not run from a storm. Every other bird will run. When a major, you know, those major clouds form and you get thunderstorms and all the updrafts and downdrafts and all these drafts. I mean, there's a lot. I had to study it all for my pilot's course. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in a storm. And there's a lot of wind motion that's very unpredictable and very strong. And eagles are the only bird that does not run from that. In fact, they run toward, they fly toward it. And that's what God is talking about here. You know why? Because as soon as those eagles get within a certain proximity of that storm, the updrafts, the way a storm works, pilot course 15.103, uh, the way it works is you have to have updrafts first. Then you have the mature stage with all the lightning and the rain, and then downdrafts start to occur at, as it's starting to dissipate. The up and down is in its, max, in its mature stage, and then downdrafts only at the end. At the beginning, there's updrafts only. Because it's building. It's clouds are going higher and they're getting, more, they're getting more aggressive. Those eagles know that. 
when they see that storm starting to form, are you listening? Notice it's not in the mature stage when they see the storm starting to form. You've got to recognize when problems are starting to happen. And instead of running away from them, because the eagle knows what the crater has put in it, and we know because of our waiting on the Lord, we're not concerned with tests and trials, James 1, that try our faith. We run toward it. We don't run away from it. Why? Because the eagle knows, and this is an amazing truth and an amazing natural fact, when they hit that updraft, those major updrafts come when a storm is being formed. Not downdrafts, updrafts. When they hit that updraft, listen, it's amazing. The, up, the, 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 the pressure in the atmosphere, the power of that storm actually works to the eagle's advantage. They use the wind pressure and within seconds, they can, be, they can go up hundreds of feet per second because that updraft, they spread their wings. Eagles are the only birds that have locking wings. They can lock their wings in place because the updrafts are so powerful, it could affect the. but they can lock their wings in place. And when that updraft, it just, and do you know that eagles fly above the storms? They're one of the only birds that fly above storms, sometimes over 10,000 feet in the air. They see the storm, they don't run, they lock their wings and the pressure pushes them up and they go up high. That's what it says, you will ascend, mount up, ascend like eagles. When you see the problem, lock yourself, set your face and say, I will not back down devil. I have a covenant, I will overcome you. You see, you gotta have that spirit of faith. That's locking the winds of the spirit of faith and not running away, running, flying toward and let that test and trial, the pressure of it will actually strengthen your faith. Paul says, don't be afraid when you have tests and trials, rejoice, count it all joy. Why? Why do you count it joy? Because this problem you're facing is going to make your faith stronger. It's going to prove out your patience. It's going to, at the end of it, you'll be better than you were at the beginning. So the storm is not something to be afraid of. The storm is something to be embraced because why? I'm going to be stronger at the end of the storm than I am at the beginning. And I fly toward it for that reason. And I set my face with the spirit of faith and I set lock my wings and I go and the pressure of that test and trial journey it pushes me up it doesn't push me down hallelujah it doesn't push me down it pushes me up and I rise up hundreds of feet in, in, in a matter of a very short period of time they can go up thousands of feet in a matter of a few minutes and they actually fly above the storm, they're looking down and they can see those black clouds with lightning and thunder, but they're above it. And they just soar until it's over and then they start to descend. That's what God is saying. Wait on me. That act of waiting, Jenny, causes us to ascend above a storm. You know the problem with all the Christians are? They're not waiting, so they don't have strength. When the storm comes, they're running. The storm catches them. They're going through the storm instead of above the storm and it pushes them down and they come out tattered and worn and exhausted. No, if you're waiting on God, if you have a lifestyle of seeking him and waiting on him, what happens is when those problems come and they're going to come, you can't get away from its life. The Holy Ghost will warn you because you're waiting on him. And he'll say, now this is how I want you to handle this situation. Here's how I want you to handle that situation. But you have the spirit of faith. You lock your wings and you let that thing push you up not push you down. And you soar above that problem. You're still, you're still going through the test and the trial. You understand? You're still in the storm region. But instead of being battered by it, you're above it. 
That's how we're supposed to live. I'm going to go through problems, but instead of letting them literally tear me apart so I come out of it like broken, I can soar above it. I'm still going through the storm, but I'm above the storm. Do you understand? I come out the other side stronger than when I went in. Not battered and broken and bleeding. We go through storms, but really a better way to say it is we go above storms. But the storms are still present. You're going to go through tests and trials, but rise above the tests and trial. You're going through it, but go through it from a position of strength. Go through it from a position of authority. There was a pilot that I heard that wrote an article. He was landing and, and he called the tower and he said, I'm coming in. And they said, well, you can't, that you can't. There's a standstorm. You can't. And he said, what are you talking about? Of course I can. He said, I can see you. You know, down there, like, like it was way as way. He said, but I can see, barely, but I can see the airport. They said, what are you talking about? Where? So they're checking, are you sure I'm in the right place? Are you sure this is the right code? Am I in the, the right airport? Yeah. And he said, I can see you. I said, he said, I, he said, you can't, we're in a storm. And they couldn't understand what was going on. What, what, what they discovered was when he started to descend his plane, he entered into this sand kind of stormy thing and he lost all visibility. But from a certain height, he could see through that sandstorm. It wasn't sand. It was like, an, I don't know what it was, but it was some kind of stuff in the atmosphere. But when he was in it, he had no visibility. That's why they were saying, how can you see us? Because they're in it. But when he was flying at a certain height, he could see, I guess, with the reflection of the sun on those particles or whatever it was, but it wasn't in his, in his visual ocular range. He was looking down through it and he had a clear line of sight, but when he got in it, he couldn't see. And I thought that is just like me. There is a storm, but if I'm at a certain height, if I'm in God and I've got my faith working, I'm going through it, but I'm actually over it. Now, if I descend down into the devil's games, I'm going to have loss of visibility, a lot of fear, and get battered. But if I stay up high, I'm still going through the test and trial. I'm still technically in a storm, but I'm not like the rest of the people being battered by the wind and the lightning and everything. I am above it, and actually it looks clear through it. That's why David Ayedipo, the largest church in the world, and can you imagine the pressure he's, can you imagine the people that hate him? Can you imagine the witchcraft and the enemies? You know what they said? Wow, you must have gone through some serious tests and trials to build this largest church. You know what his answer was? I haven't really noticed. I haven't really noticed all the attacks, all the witchcraft, all the people that lie and write articles and hate him and try to sue him. I haven't really noticed. Why? Because he's not at their level with no visibility. He's up looking through a clear line of sight. Because of your position, you will notice or not, you, will, you know you're in it, but you don't feel it the same way. How can he say, I haven't really noticed? Only because of his position. If your position's different, you're going to certainly notice it. You're going to feel it and you're going to feel battered by it. Waiting on the Lord, primary, uh, uh, number one, the most important reason is because we love him. Are you still with me? Don't look so nervous. It's only 1143. I'm going to be done on time. My God, some of you, I can see you're sweating already. Oh, Jesus, help us. He's going to, the gospel bird will burn. <laughs> Please have a look with me. I'm going to read it to you for, I just think you need to hear it and see it. Revelations 2. And at the angel, verse 1, at the angel of the church of Ephesus, right, these things saith the one that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Watch now. Now, just put yourself in this. I know your works and your labor and your patience. In other words, you're doing good works, you're laboring strong, and you're patient. 
and how you cannot bear them which are evil. You love righteousness, you hate lawlessness, you don't want evil around you. All of these are, are compliments. He's commending them. And thou hast tried them which say they are of the apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You've even protected the church. False people come in and you've checked on them and you found out that they're liars and you're not going to put up with these false doctrines and these false apostles and false pastors. He is commending these people. You're working hard. You're protecting the church. You're, 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 you hate evil. I mean, this is a good list so far. And what's the next thing? Verse three. And you, and has borne, and you, you have borne tr struggles. You've gone through tests and trials and you have patience. Remember what James says, that patience in the tests and trials, that's what happens. You have patience. So he's saying you've borne grief, you've borne hardship and you haven't quit. And your patience is strong. He's complimenting them, Jenny. Now watch. And for my name's sake, you've labored. You've labored for the gospel. And you've not fainted. You've not quit on me. This is a huge list of commendation. Are you ready? Nevertheless, in other words, in spite of all of your good acts and wonderful things, hating the devil, hating evil, protecting the church, working hard, not fainting, going through tests and trials, overcoming, you've, you've got a long list of, of accolades, but nevertheless, I have somewhat something against thee because you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works, which is your first love. Or else I'll come to thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except you repent. Now watch, then he gives them another, another commendation. He said, but this you have done, that you have hated the deeds of the Nickelodeons, which I also hate. In other words, God's saying, you've, you've, you've been right. You love righteousness. You found out liars. You're against the Nickelodeons. You are doing wrong things. You've labored. You've not quit. You've been faithful. I'm so pleased with you. You're a good church. You're a good Christian. But, are you listening? Did you notice none of those things that he listed there were worthy of removing the candlestick? None of those things. In other words, the candlestick, the anointing, the plan was going to go forward, even if maybe not all of those lists had been done perfectly. But the one thing that was going to cause them to come quickly and remove that anointing from that person's life, take that, uh, you're not going to fulfill the plan of God the way you're living right now. I'm going to take that anointing off you. The one thing that they had to repent of and repent quickly, not take a lot of time. God is serious about this. The one thing was not all the lists that they did. The one thing God did not tolerate. Are you listening to me? The one thing that God will not tolerate for you. This is New Testament doctrine. The one thing he will not tolerate for you or me or this church or anybody that has a plan and has a candlestick and an anointing set and all of you are because the anointing is set in this church and you're part of this church. The one thing he would not tolerate and that he said, you better repent and you better do it quick because I'm not waiting for you. This is too serious of an infraction for me to wait on your time. You do it on my time and you do it quick. And if you don't, I'm going to take things away from you. What was the one thing? You violated the first works. What are the first works? The first love. The one thing God will not tolerate is you working for him, but not loving him. What if I just served my wife all the time and did all the dishes and she would appreciate my serving. What if I never really talked to her? 
What if I never really spent time with her? What if I was never intimate with her? But I did all the dishes all the time and I did all the laundry and I did all the vacuuming and I drove the kids everywhere, but I didn't talk to her. I didn't sit with her and spend time with her. What would I be? I'd be a glorified roommate. A lot of you are roommates with God. You are. You do all this stuff, but do you actually talk to him? Do you actually love him? Are you intimate with him? Jesus said, I am married to the church. Now, God is not sexual. We know that. But he uses marriage because of that intimacy as a husband and wife. And God is saying, as intimate as you are with your spouse, I want you to be spiritually, on the spiritual side, that kind of intimacy with me. Don't be a roommate with God. Be a lover of God. Be intimate with him. Talk to him. Spend time with him. He'll tell you secrets. He'll show you his nature. He'll show you what he feels and what he doesn't like and what he does like. I'm telling you, there's nothing like knowing him. But in order to know him, you've got to spend time. In order to love him, first love takes time. I can't just be passing Jenny in the hallway. Uh, Yeah, I'm working very hard for you, honey. And yeah, I know I have to love you and talk to you. So how you doing? I'll talk to you later. Uh, That's not, that's talking, but that's not spending time. You're going to, if you're going to have a good marriage, you're going to spend time. If you're going to have a good relationship, you've got to spend time. The one thing you won't tolerate is a lack of love for him. All the work you do is not as important as that intimacy with him. You have relationship by being born again. But do you have fellowship? Fellowship is the intimacy. It's the knowing. It's the loving. It's the waiting on him. So I'm telling you, we need to wait on the Lord, number one, because of our love for him. We need to wait on the Lord, number two, because without it, the responsibilities of us going forward like Joshua, we won't fulfill the plan of God. Number three, we need strength just to get through tests and trials. Just to get through what we're facing. Waiting on the Lord will cause you, when you spend time with him, you will start to soar above the test and the trial instead of going through it as much. Do you understand? You're still in it, but you're not being battered by it the same way because you've locked your wings. And, and the force of that negative experience is actually pushing you up. I'm telling you, that's why God put that in the Bible. He didn't use the word eagle for a reason. He didn't just say bird or turkey or whatever. He said eagle. Because an eagle is the only bird that doesn't run. And it's one of the only birds that soars above. It's one of the only birds that can lock its wings. I think these are important things to look at. Instead of making stuff up that they're shivering naked before the Lord on the mountaintop, which doesn't even exist, let's just actually go with what's true. I mean, it's motivational, it's inspirational, but it's just flat out not true. So I'm not going to read you stuff that's not true. I do my fact checking as best as I can so that what I'm saying to you is an example. And God put it in his holy word. He said, wait on me. Those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They shall ascend like the mighty eagle. Wait on him. Spend more time praying and loving him and worshiping him and get some worship music and put it on and just sit there quietly and just set aside time. Everybody leave me alone. This is my time with him. I love him. I need to do this because I'm going to take the land. I've got to wait on him. I've got to do this just for strength to get above the problems I'm going to face today. So when people cut me off, I'm not giving them finger signs. Um, No, when people abuse me, I'm not screaming at work when they mistreat me. I don't mm, and just, you know, you're just, no, if you've waited, you just, you you walk in love. You just sweet. Things roll off you differently when you've waited on God. Things don't stick to you as much. When they tell the dirty joke, you don't engage, but it just, it's like water and oil. It just, it just rolls off you. 
Waiting on God make all the difference in your life. All the difference in your life. And there's four. I'm on the last one and I got six minutes left. But number one, it's because we love him. Remember that, brothers and sisters. He does not tolerate when you have no first works. Number two, we do it so that we can fulfill the plan of God like Joshua, he waited. Number three, in this society that we live in more than ever before, we need strength because of tests and trials. And you wait on him in order to help you ascend above that problem and have strategy to know how to deal with that problem. And number four, and there's many more I could say. I'm just saying these are the four that God dropped in my spirit. He said, just give them four. And as you can tell, it takes a full sermon just to do four. He said, number four, he said, wait on, he said, I want you to wait on me. Talking to me, Craig, but he's talking to all of us. He said, I want you to wait on me to get things that are in you out of you. And put things that are not in you in you. And so I need to wait because I love him. I need to wait because I need to fulfill the plan. I need to wait because I'm going, they're going to go through storms and tests and trials. But I also need to wait because I need stuff out of me. Why do I act the way I act? Have you ever asked your squirrely head that? Because we're all like that. I'm not knocking you. How come I'm so defensive? I'm not talking about me. I'm using statements. I'm not saying that they apply to me necessarily. But how come I'm angry all the time? How come I have a tendency to lie? How come I don't let anybody close to me? People say I have walls and they're a bunch of idiots. I don't got no walls. You've got the walls the size of Jericho. You can't even see it. How come, I, how come I'm always prickly? How come I'm easily offended? I don't know why, but I recognize that I am kind of a little bit easily offended. Things just hurt me very easily. Why am I so sensitive? Why am I so quick to... Have you ever actually looked at how you act? <laughs> and I looked at how you live? Can I give you a small suggestion? I did it a couple times and then my wife told me I'm never allowed to do it again. She didn't. I'm just kidding, Jenny. She didn't. But when you're about to get into a fight with somebody, just put your audio recorder and just push record and put it in your pocket. And just forget it's there. And just do what you're normally going to do. And then go back and press play and listen to how you responded to that situation. Because it's amazing how we believe that we are so innocent and so pure and so true. I didn't do that. I didn't say that. Kim, I've listened to myself and I did it to catch her in the act. I did it to get her. Jenny, you don't know what you sound like. But I realized I was so angry. I was so angry because when I listened, she actually sounded pretty good and I was the one knowing I'm recording it. I was the one that was more at fault than her, and I know I'm recording it, so I'm actually holding back. <laughs> I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I thought, you know, she's got a little bit to work on, but my God, Craig, what's wrong with you? And I did it in the privacy. I don't want her to hear. I did it in the privacy of my own prayer closet. But, and I did it to say, Lord, you see what I'm dealing with here. I did it to show the Lord, you see what I'm dealing with here. And I was so embarrassed. I've never done it since because I was so embarrassed. I'm never doing it again. But I felt my, I felt, the Lord didn't even have to convict me. I, my heart convicted itself. I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to talk to you about what she's doing because I can't believe how awful I sound. You, everybody has in their mind that we're perfect and that we're not as, I'm telling you, and we're not. 
There's stuff we have to get out. If you can't make friends, there's a reason. No, I'm not being mean. I'm being honest. God wants to help you with that so you can make friends. If you can't hold a job down, there's a reason. God wants you to help you with that so that it changes. Whatever is the deficiency, and all of us have them, me as well. God wants to help me so I have joy and peace and victory and success. But if I have the attitude, I'm all that. I mean, I tell Jenny, look what God gave you. I mean, what do you got to complain about? And that's true. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But if you have that attitude of, I'm all that, then you, don't, you won't even look to yourself as to areas you need to change. And I want to, and I'm closing, the, the, the example God gave me on this is he said, do you remember Dad Hagen? Dad Hagen took an extended season to wait before the Lord. He said, Aretha, if the, I know when dinner is, so you don't have to send the kids in to get me. If I don't show up at six o'clock or whatever it was, it means I'm fasting that, that meal because I need to wait before the Lord because I sense that there's changes coming. I sense that I have a dissatisfaction in my heart about something. I got to seek God about it. He did that more than once in his life. That's kind of like the molting. But he actually did an extended molting kind of thing. And for months, he just, he would, he would pray and he'd fast a little bit, not all the time. And he just would wait before the Lord. And he'd go, he'd go to his little church and the little altar and he'd just spend time. Instead of working, he'd spend time waiting on God, waiting on God, talking to God, praying in the spirit. And he said, and God would reveal things to me. Uh, I don't like the way you act this way. And he said, I would take it out, not physically, but spiritually. And he'd lay it on the altar and he'd say, Lord, help me not to act that way anymore. I don't like the way you deal with this. I don't like the way you say that. I don't like the way you think about this. And he would pull stuff. I see waiting on the Lord gets stuff in you that God doesn't want in you. And it brings it to the surface and it brings it out. And then he said, after a longer period of time, he said, I was praying one day and he said, it's like my spirit took hold of something deep in my soul. So I'm in your spirit. Your spirit's perfect. But something deep in my soul, my spirit, think of your spirit having a hand took hold of something deep in my soul, deep at the very bottom. Because remember, God deals with surface and he'll go deeper. He doesn't start at the bottom. He goes and so he'll pull up stuff. And if the longer you wait, the deeper he'll go dealing with bigger things in your life. But he said, I got down to what he felt by the word of knowledge. He knew it was the bottom of his soul. He knew that there wasn't anything else left. This was the last thing. I don't know how he knew that. He just knew it by the Holy Ghost. And his spirit laid hold of something in the very bottom of his soul that had been hidden for years that he didn't even know was there. And he said, and I pulled it out by the Holy Ghost. And he's not meaning physically. He's talking spiritual truths with language in English. It's hard to understand sometimes. But he said, I pulled it out in prayer. And he said, when I pulled it out, I knew by the spirit because he had a vision and he saw what he had pulled out of his soul. And God showed him a vision and he saw or a spiritual picture, whatever it was, but he saw this old shoe, black shoe that looked like it had been worn and weathered and like you got wet and leave it out in the sun and it's all wrinkly and disgusting and gross. And he said, but there were tentacles, like octopus tentacles coming out of the shoe. Old, black, dirty shoe with octopus tentacles coming out of it. And he said, my spirit pulled that out and I laid it on the altar. And I said, Lord, that is disgusting. That was in me. That's not a demon. He said, that was in me. And the Lord spoke to him. Why? Because he was waiting on the Lord. And the Lord said, that was in you. He said, what is that? That is disgusting. I didn't know something like that was in me. And the Lord said, that is the traditions, the, the traditional things you've held from the Baptist church and from your childhood. The traditions 
the legalism, the stuff that I do not like that they have put in you from a child in your denominational circles and all the thought processes and the legalism and the doubt and unbelief and all of that stuff that's going to cling to you like octopus tentacles, it was in there. You didn't even know you had it, but it was in there. All that tradition, all that religion, and I can flow with, through you by my spirit with that in there the way I want to. So now you've got that out. Now you're going to wash your mind from all that tradition and that old thinking and that religious tradition of denominationalism. And he says, now I can use you more fully. And that was at the bottom. His spirit took hold of it by the Holy Ghost. That tells me if the great Kenneth Hagin had religious denominational tradition and his thinking was wrong in so many areas, the great Kenneth Hagin that didn't even know it was there but an extended period of waiting on the Lord, of ego molting, so to speak, of getting rid of old things and letting the Holy Ghost by the Spirit go into your soul realm. Nothing's wrong with your spirit, but things are wrong with your mind and your soul. Things have come from childhood. There's a lot of reasons we act the way we act. And instead of getting frustrated or paying, I'm not saying don't go to a shrink. If you want to pay the money, go to a shrink. I don't care. What I'm saying is as a believer, you've got a better way. You've got the mighty counselor, capital C, called the Holy Ghost. He is the, he is the divine psychiatrist. And he lives in you and he's a genius and he knows everything about you. Now you can pay $400 an hour and go to somebody to talk about the birth canal and this canal and that canal and every other canal and go back to the womb and let's talk about that. And you can do that and if it helps you, all the more power to you. All I'm saying is that is a pretty pathetic flow. That is for the sinner and the world who are far from the covenants of promise. For the believer, we have the great capital C counselor and all we have to do is lie on the couch with him. Sit with him. Wait on him. Say, Father, pull it out of me. And he will show you and you lay it on the altar and you'll change. You'll change. You'll find you don't think the same, you don't feel the same, you don't act the same because the mighty counselor has done surgery on you because you waited on him to pull stuff out. Amen. There's stuff he showed me because, Sue, of, 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 of Clive and different things and things that happened when I was a child, why I acted the way I act. He showed me things about other reasons with my current father, why I act the way I act. You'd be amazed. How much how you were raised, what happened to you as a child, how people have treated you, how teachers treated you. He even took me back once with my uncle who said something I was not, he was very cruel. Yeah. And I don't know why he did it, but God showed me something, something pierced you when he said that. And you've carried it all, the, all this time. Let me pull it out of you, son. In the spirit, it looked like a porcupine quill. He showed me what it looked like. It looked like a porcupine quill stuck inside me. He said, those words planted that thing in you and you've carried it all these years. I want to take it out of you. And he took it out of me. And I noticed I didn't feel certain things after that that I felt before that. Who would have thought sitting on the beach in Durban, South Africa, when my uncle said those mean words to me, that that would affect me 20, 30, 40 years later? It's amazing. You have no idea, but the Holy Ghost knows everything and he loves you and he so desperately wants to bring you to that place of wholeness and health and mental soundness and heart health. I don't mean physical heart health. Yes, that too. I'm talking about your emotional heart health. He wants your heart to be whole. He wants things out of you and he wants to put things into you that you need. A lot of it hinges on how long. Are you going to slow down? Are you going to speed up? Slow down. 
and wait upon the Lord. Find time in your busy schedule. Wake up earlier, and I dare say it, if you were to choose between something, it's better to get less sleep and spend time with God until you can figure out your schedule to get other things out so your sleep gets back to normal. But waiting on God is more important than anything. It's more important than anything. It's better to worry on God than get a second or third or fourth job. I'm not saying that you shouldn't. I'm just saying wait on the Lord. What is number as I close? Number one, we do it because we love him. Number two, we do it because the plan of God calls for it. We're not going to get into the promised land without knowing the strategy and having him put things into us. Number three, why do we do it? Why do we do it? Because there's storms coming and we've got to soar above them. Why do we do it? Number four, because there's things in us that make us act certain ways that half the time we don't even know why. Sometimes you do know why. You just have to put your foot on it. Crucify the flesh. Other times you don't know why. Waiting on him will bring the old shoes out. I don't want any old shoes in me, and I'm sure there's still some left because my soul is pretty deep. Your soul's deep. It took Dad Hagen months waiting on God before he got to the bottom of his soul. And he was doing it every day, six, seven, eight hours a day. So there's a lot in you that you don't necessarily want. Don't be discouraged on that. Just know the great counselor knows how to get it out. But if you're going to rush your way through life and never spend time with him, he's not going to get it out. Everybody wants the altar call. We need the laying on of hands. It's according to Hebrews 6. It's a doctrine of the church. We need that for healing. But laying on hands does not replace waiting on God. I can't just lay hands on you and have everything that's put in you from a baby out in one second. It doesn't work that way. That takes time. Laying on of hands has a certain function and we praise God for that and it works. But I'm talking about the deeper things. Hallelujah. I'm just quirky. That's what people say. They justify bad behavior. They justify weirdness by saying, I'm just quirky. I'm just eccentric. No, maybe you're weird. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you don't think right. Maybe somebody hurt you and you've never got over it. Maybe you need the mighty healing Holy Ghost counselor to help you. Don't justify your wrong behavior because you're eccentric. Wait on the Lord and he will pull it out and he will soar you high. And he will show you the plan. And he will pour his love into you. Father, in Jesus' name. I did what you asked me to do this morning, Holy Spirit. I thank you for your anointing and help. Lord, it's not something I've ever really preached this way before, but I thank you for your anointing that helped it land right in the hearts of the people, land right in the hearts of the watchers that are watching this morning. Lord, let us take time in the busyness. The society's never been busier. Our lives have never been busier ever than they are now. Lord, let us find time, make time, create time if we have to in our schedules to wait on the Lord. It will make all the difference in our futures. I want them to be whole as their pastor. I want them to be healed. Not everything comes by an altar call. Much comes by extended periods of molting, waiting, and letting you shed those things out of us that are not right and add stuff into us that is so that we can soar high, so that we can go into the promised land strong, so that we can be that New Testament church like Revelations 2 says and overcome in your name but because we have our first love in place. We give you praise and glory in the precious name of Jesus.